Welcome back, fellow football fanatics. It's your host, College Football with Sam, and today we will be discussing Day 2 of Big Ten Media Days. Media Days concluded after head coaches Tom Allen of Indiana, Mike Loxley of Maryland, P.J. Fleck of Minnesota, Ryan Walters of Purdue, Matt Rule of Nebraska, Luke Fickle of Wisconsin, and Jim Harbaugh of Michigan all took the podium to speak for about 15 to 20 minutes answering questions from the media and also talking about their roster, culture, and expectations for the 2023 season and beyond. We're going to be breaking it all down today and analyzing it, giving about equal time to each of the seven teams that were represented at Media Days today. Before we get into today's video, I want to give a quick shout out to my community for reaching 10,000 subscribers on YouTube yesterday evening. I could not have done it without you guys, so I would really appreciate it if we keep the growth going. And if you could, please subscribe to the channel, like this video, and watch it all the way through so you can be informed on my thoughts of day two of Big Ten Media Days and also what all of the seven head coaches said today. We're going to be starting off in chronological order with Tom Allen of Indiana. Tom Allen is a total players coach. He trusts his roster and he trusts his players. And he thinks highly of them. He's confident. To me, in a certain sense, he reminds me a little bit of James Franklin in how they love to talk about their roster and their players, their total player centric, and their rah rah guys in one respect or another. The difference is James Franklin's winning at Penn State, and he has a lot more resources. Tom Allen is currently on the hot seat, and he is the Big Ten coach most likely to be fired at the conclusion of the 2023 season, at least in my mind. He praised his players' performance, grit, and hard work. He praised several players like Jalen Lucas, a stud at return specialist, and potential stud at running back, and also his linebackers, his defense as a whole. He also made several staff changes this 2023 preseason, adding in a new co-offensive coordinator to pair with Walt Bell, the play caller on offense. He added Anthony Tucker, who has upgraded the wide receiver room. Indiana also hired Bob Bostad from Wisconsin, who coached linebackers there for around half a decade and coached the offensive line in 2022, after Joe Rudolph left the position as O-line coach and took the same job at Virginia Tech. Indiana does have solid players on defense. Andre Carter at defensive end, an incoming transfer from Western Michigan, and linebacker Aaron Casey, who I have on my all-Big Ten team. Also, don't forget about Noah Pierre. Noah Pierre, Aaron Casey, and Jalen Lucas, I think, were the three players, if my memory serves me correctly, that represented Indiana at Media Days today. Noah Pierre's been with the program for many years, and he is a star cornerback. So Indiana, once again, should have a solid defense. But that's not been the problem. The problem for them has been offense, for playing all four quarters, for having proper depth, and even though they have worked the transfer portal to their advantage, they cannot stop the outflow of good players. An example of this is star tight end A.J. Barner leaving the program to join Michigan. Connor Basilak, who was thrown into an impossible situation last year, says, I'm done with this, and he transfers to Bowling Green, where he should be their starting quarterback. Indiana just always 
has been at the bottom of the East. Tom Allen, I know, is confident in his staff and players. However, they face Penn State, they face Michigan, they face Ohio State, and even Maryland, Michigan State, and I'd say even Rutgers are much more talented of programs and are much superior teams compared to the Hoosiers. The Hoosiers did bring in four-star transfer Taven Jackson, who should start at quarterback, so there is some promise there. The wide receivers are more diverse. That's something that was talked about in the media questions, so different types of skill sets and body types, so we'll see what Indiana can be on the offensive side of the ball. We know that their O-line with Bostad as the coach will probably improve, and Jalen Lucas is a great return specialist, should improve as a running back as well. But I don't know if Tom Allen's going to survive on post-2023. He was talking about how he's excited to play UCLA and USC, and I'm excited to see Indiana and any other Big Ten school play those two schools, but in the back of my mind, I was also thinking while he was saying that, that I don't know if you're going to be the head coach when your current team, the Indiana Hoosiers, will take the field to play those teams. Indiana, it's hard to win there. What Tom Allen did in 2019 and 2020 can't be forgotten. But a 2-10 and 10 season and then a bad 4-8 and eight season after that, you got to wonder if Tom Allen can ever get this team back to the success they had in 19 or 20, or if it was a fluke. But that's why you play every Saturday. We'll have to see what the games tell us. Up next, we have Mike Loxley and the Maryland Terrapins. Mike Loxley opened up talking about a story. And I thought when I was hearing that story about how he was held up on a vacation, that's what he was talking about. He's held up for nearly a whole day, nearly a whole 24 hours on a flight delay. I thought that it was going to be something similar to what Tom Allen or James Franklin do, where it's using stories to distract or take up time. But he actually turned it into a really good point about how he wants to bring his players the best possible, best possible experience at Maryland. And he boasted about how he has 85 players in an amazing mentorship program where CEOs, leaders at the local and state level are mentoring Maryland players so that they can be better men off the field and on the field and in their lives post-football, which I thought was awesome. Mike Loxley, to me, I think is an intelligent head coach. I think that he's a good man. And you never know, truly, as we've seen with Pat Fitzgerald and that whole situation and college football, there's often things behind closed doors that we don't know what is going on to the fullest degree. But I like what Mike Loxley had to say. He talked about development at skill positions and also the offensive line. And he thinks that the offensive line, the defensive line as well, the trenches as a whole, and the skill positions are full of talent. Roman Hemby at running back is a player who's returning. He nearly had 1,000 rushing yards. Talia Tagovailoa is returning for his fourth season with the program, being here since 2020. At wide receiver, you have Jayshon Jones, who is also mentioned as a highly achieving player off the field, pursuing his second master's degree and already having a master's degree and a bachelor's degree, just really intelligent player. They brought in Caden Prather through the portal. They do return some defensive players, most notably at secondary, and also linebacker Jayshon Barham, who had four sacks and might be on my all-Big Ten 
team. Loxley has built a culture of leadership, growth. His team is deep. They've recruited well. Recently, I think that recruiting has fallen off a tad bit, but all in all, they have recruited in the middle of the road to above average or in the top third of the Big Ten on average since Mike Loxley became the head coach in 2019. He stated that he thinks his Terrapins are ready to compete for a Big Ten championship, which is pretty bold, but he knows the roster better than any of us do. And many people are pointing to Maryland as a potential sleeper team. I know some friends of mine are very high on the Maryland Terrapins. And Maryland last year, Ohio State, Michigan, Purdue, those were games where Maryland was in it in the middle-late fourth quarter. So Michigan, Ohio State, the two best teams in the conference, and Purdue, who was middle of the road, but best team in the Big Ten West, I mean, they were at the door of finishing 9-4, and four, or dare I say it, maybe 10-3 and three last season, if you change a few things. Obviously, there were some games like Northwestern where they played down to their competition, but with a solid amount of returning production, especially at quarterback, running back, an offensive line that should improve despite losing many of their starters. I know that their starting center this year is projected to be um, Eric Harris, and they have another good tackle in Delmar Glaze. So Maryland has a lot of good players. They're going to be more of an offensive team rather than a defensive team. But last year, their defense improved drastically. So maybe they'll be more of a balanced team this year, and maybe they can compete for a Big Ten championship. We didn't see Penn State coming in 2016, and we didn't see Michigan State coming in the middle to early Mark D'Antonio era. So maybe Maryland is building something that can compete for championships. Personally, I have to see it to believe it, but let's keep an eye on Maryland entering 2023, shall we? We have Minnesota and P.J. Fleck up next. I think resilient is the word I could best use to describe Minnesota's football program. Whether it's how the football team is taking on 2023's schedule, whether it's how P.J. Fleck and his assistants develop, nurture, and coach these players, or whether it's P.J. Fleck's responses to the accusations released yesterday afternoon, I think all of those things live and breathe resiliency. Let's talk about the first point. Minnesota's schedule for 2023 includes Michigan and Ohio State. Now, any year in the Big Ten, if you play those two teams in the same season, good luck. But especially in those programs' current forms, in the current state of the Buckeyes and Wolverines, where they are playoff teams, where they are elite teams, where, in my opinion, Michigan and Ohio State are the number one and number two teams in college football, respectively, that makes that challenge even bigger. For P.J. Fleck, this schedule is like climbing Mount Everest. It's going to be hard enough to go 7-5, and 8-4. and four. It's going to be extremely challenging to go 9-3 and three or just 10-2 and two like they did in 2019 when the toughest teams they had to face were Penn State and Wisconsin. Oh, by the way, since they still play in the West and Iowa and Wisconsin are their rivals, P.J. Fleck has to play Wisconsin and Iowa on top of Ohio State and Michigan. And they also have a road game at North Carolina early in September where the weather will be different, 
North Carolina has an elite quarterback in Drake May. So yeah, the schedule's tough. And you know what Minnesota does? They don't care. They just work harder. Minnesota, in my opinion, is the the do-more-with-less team of the Big Ten. It used to be Mark D'Antonio with Michigan State. Briefly, it was Paul Christ with Wisconsin. You could argue that, you know, James Franklin was there for a while. Pat Fitzgerald with Northwestern in 2018-2020. P.J. Fleck, to me, he's the balance between a disciplinarian and a player's coach. Now, I'm going to use that to lean into the accusations that were made yesterday afternoon. There were accusations from multiple former players, some of whom are still playing in the sport of college football, but on different teams, they transferred out, that P.J. Flex's culture is toxic, it rewards misbehavior, and it's cult-like. Now, the latter part, part of me can understand the row-the-boat mantra and other things surrounding the program, like their almost never-ending positivity. I can understand how that would come across as cult-like. However, the accusations were anecdotal at best. Several players have come out in defense of Fleck, but more importantly than any of that, Northwestern, for example, an independent law firm came to the conclusion that there was toxicity in the locker room. An independent law firm did that, backed by evidence and investigators and all that stuff. They came to that conclusion, and the rest was history, whether you want to argue that the university did a very poor job of handling the hazing scandal, which they did, that's for another conversation. Other law firms and other organizations have investigated Minnesota before over these allegations, which seemingly are on a year-to-year basis that these allegations come about regarding P.J. Fleck. And every time he's been proven innocent. So I need to see evidence that he is guilty about these things before I believe it. For now, I just think that, look, P.J. Fleck's culture is hard to play for. There are certain things that he does, of course, the the positivity, the hard work, the community service that not every player and every personality is going to agree with. And even the players that defended him have said that. But I don't think the culture is toxic. I don't. But if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Toxic cultures are not acceptable. Hazing's not acceptable. But What Minnesota and P.J. Fleck are doing, I think overall, I think they've built an elite culture. I think that their staff is great. I think that when it comes to physicality, this team's elite. We need to see more athleticism out of them. They have the size of a, a Michigan, Ohio State, a Penn State, but they don't quite have that speed. And they lost a ton of starters. Tanner Morgan, Muhammad Ibrahim, John Michael Schmitz, Jordan Howden. They did bring back Tyler Newbin, though, and they did bring in some transfers like Corey Crooms at wide receiver. Ethan Kaliak-Manis got some starts last season, and he should improve. And tight end Brevin Spanford returns. And Brevin Spanford, 6'7", 270 pounds. He'll be one of the best tight ends in the nation. I think he's the second best tight end in the nation, only behind Brock Bowers. So Minnesota is a team where they're low in returning production, But I'm actually pretty high on them entering 2023 because I think what Fleck is doing there is he's doing more with less. And I think Minnesota is one of the best developmental programs in the country. Now we're talking about a guy who is new. This is the first, the first 
of three new Big Ten head coaches that spoke at Media Days today. This is Ryan Walters. And I really like Ryan Walters. I liked him before he spoke at Media Days. I like him a lot more now. I really admire him. He is calm, well-spoken. He has this confidence about him. His personality, in a certain sense, reminds me of a gentle giant. Now, he may not be seven foot, 300 pounds. He may not be the size of John Michael Schmitz. But his intellect, his knowledge of football, and his abilities as a defensive mind, those are gigantic. Ryan Walters led the number one defense in America last year in scoring, in defensive passing efficiency, and I don't care if there's an argument where, where, well, Georgia's defense was more talented or Iowa had the tougher schedule. That was the only reason why they performed worse. Illinois, even Iowa's recruiting dwarfs Illinois' recruiting. What Ryan Walters did to develop that defense was impressive. He knows Big Ten football. He knows Purdue football history. Talked about Joe Tiller, Jeff Brom. He He's done his homework. I mean, one of the first days that he was the head coach of Purdue, he gave a scholarship to Devin Mockaby, who last year was a walk-on running back who nearly had a 1,000 yards rushing. He's going to be back. They brought in Hudson Card through the transfer portal. They also returned safety Cam Allen, who's on my all-Big Ten team and is for sure on any preseason all-Big Ten team, any preseason team where the writers have at least done their homework. Cam Allen is one of the Big Ten's better safeties, and they have better players elsewhere, too. They have good tight ends, good wide receivers. I know that TJ Sheffield is going to return, and they also, I think, have Tyrone Tracy for another year. Him and Charlie Jones transferred to Purdue in the 2022 preseason. Jones went to the NFL, and I I think Tyrone Tracy does have one more year, but if I'm wrong, please let me know in the comments down below. In my opinion, he made an, an amazing impression in the first day of media days. Better than David Braun. Now, he was similar to David Braun in the sense that him and David Braun, they're not amazing public speakers. They're not charismatic. That's just my opinion. But they're relatable. Ryan Walters is very relatable. Comes across to me as very kind. Um, definitely family-oriented. And I think that's going to work at Purdue. And I think that he is going to prioritize in-state recruiting. I think he's going to try and keep as many players on the roster as he can. He's going to try and limit outgoing transfers. And I think I think in the long term, he'll be successful at Purdue, in my opinion. He used the transfer portal to reload after 2022's starters departed. Again, Charlie Jones left to the NFL. Same with Aiden O'Connell. The Boilermakers staff... They have Graham Harrell as their offensive coordinator. They're going to run an air raid with Devin Mockaby and with Hudson Card. Hudson Card, I don't think that he's an elite quarterback, but I do think he's good. And I think that Purdue certainly will be a competitive team in the Big Ten West. Can they win it again in back-to-back -back seasons with a new head coach and a new staff? I'm sort of doubtful of that. But Ryan Walters said that he doesn't really care whether they pass it a ton, run it a ton. They just want to be physical. They want to be tough. And they want to win football games. And most importantly, he used the word aggressive. I like that the Big Ten is having a plethora of whether it's new Big Ten head coaches like Ryan Day, 
Mel Tucker, and by new, I don't mean this year, I mean like in the past decade. New minds, young minds, aggressive minds, whether it's Ryan Walters with Purdue, Mel Tucker with Michigan State, whether it's Ryan Day with Ohio State, James Franklin even with Penn State, Luke Fickle with Wisconsin this year, and same with Matt Rule, P.J. Fleck to a certain degree, and even Jim Harbaugh making a pivotal change in his career and adapting after a disastrous 2020 season. The Big Ten has certainly, its philosophy has stayed the same, but there are major changes happening in the conference, not just with bringing in USC and UCLA, but also how the conference is evolving in the sport and with on-the-field play schemes and philosophy. So I think Ryan Walters, ultimate ultimate banger of a hire for Purdue, I think. Awesome hire. Very impressed with what he said. And for Nebraska, we're talking about Matt Rule. Now when news broke, I think it was late in the Iowa game or after the Iowa game last season, where Mickey Joseph in his final game as interim head coach spoiled the Hawkeyes' chances of reaching Indy for the second year in a row, it was announced that Matt Rule was going to be the next head coach of the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Matt Rule is, I think, similar to Ryan Walters in the sense that they're cool, calm, collected, relatable. Matt Rule also has, I think, a similarity with P.J. Fleck, and they're just they're intensely positive. They care about their players. They want them to be better men. I think that was a theme with a lot of head coaches at Media Days today, like Loxley, Rule, Walters, Fleck, guys that really have stressed in their speeches today and in answering media questions that they want their players to be the best men that they can possibly be, not just on the field as athletes, but off the field as human beings. So what Matt Rule said in regards to that, I admire. And I also admire his adaptability. They're bringing in a new defense, a 3-3-5 defense with Tony White, who is a great defensive coordinator at Syracuse. They have an athletic quarterback in Jeff Sims. They have a great running back room in Gabe Irvin Jr., Anthony Grant, Ramir Johnson. I think they have a very underrated skill position set in the Big Ten because they also have Billy Kemp and Marcus Washington at wide receiver and Xavier Betts. He's rejoining the program after he was ineligible for 2022. And at tight end, whether it's Nate Borkacher or Thomas Fedoni, they have good tight ends there as well. Question, of course, is the offensive line for this team. But I think that with continuity there, with Donovan Riola being the O-line coach for the second year in a row, and they do have returning starters at the position, there is a chance that that room takes a big step forward. They also seem to be healthier and deeper than they were last year. This team has, under Scott Frost, they recruited well. They didn't exactly develop well, but they recruited well enough to where this team, with a good staff, can make a huge step forward in year one. And I've already said, I think Nebraska's going bowling in year one under Matt Rule. I absolutely believe that. They will be rebuilding this year, though, and Rule, Rule said that over and over again about tempering expectations. This team is not going to be championship caliber in year one. He's setting the tone. He's setting the tone. And I love that because under no circumstances, especially after last year, I think is Nebraska getting 11-12 wins. It's not happening. They couldn't pull an upset here or two. They can go on the road 
in week one and beat Minnesota on a Thursday night in the last day of August, the 31st, it's possible. But a lot of the programs, whether it's in the West or in the Big Ten period, have had their head coaches for longer, their cultures are more established, developmentally and with strength and conditioning. And even in some cases, not facilities, but just roster talent, like raw talent, size, athleticism, they're ahead because Scott Frost set this program that far back. Now, Rule, I think, can catch up the team to 90% of the Big Ten in a short period of time, but whether that short period of time is three years, two years, or one year, I'd, I'd say it's safer to bet on it being two years or three years rather than just one year, and truly not even one year. It'll be more like nine or eight months, and even less than that if you're only going to count workouts, team meetings, and practices. I like where this team is going, though. He's recruiting insanely well in-state, and Nebraska has a great NIL program. Nebraska is certainly a program that will do whatever it takes to win. Not in the you know, not in the cheating, scheming way, but in adapting, in spending money where they can legally spend it, in going out of their way to get key recruits and establish relationships. This team is an extremely bright future. And with USC and UCLA joining, but especially USC, the Big Ten's just adding more and more blue bloods, and they have been doing that for the past decade, two decades, and even three decades, if you want to count Penn State as a blue blood. So it's impressive what the conference is doing. Matt Rule is definitely an innovator and a frontline innovator in the Big Ten at that. Now we're talking about the third and final new head coach in the Big Ten, Luke Fickle and the Wisconsin Badgers. Luke Fickle, he took time to speak, took time to think about what he wanted to say, formulate his words, but at the end of the day, it all boiled down to what Wisconsin's identity is. And I don't think he's looking to change Wisconsin's identity, but how they approach the ever-changing world of football, both on and off the field. He still wants that same philosophy of toughness, trench play, finishing in the fourth quarter, dominating games. This isn't, this isn't Scott Frost, again, to make a reference to Scott Frost, I know, but I think it fits. This isn't Scott Frost trying to establish a Pac-12 offense in the Big Ten Conference. Um, Luke Fickle, I almost said Matt Rule, he brought in Phil Longo from North Carolina, but make no mistake about it, Phil Longo will probably run his offense differently than he did at North Carolina last year. He'll have running backs Braylon Allen, Ches Malusi. He'll have a loaded offensive line room that was young last year, but through the transfer portal and returning production should be among the nation's best this season. Jake Renfro, an incoming transfer from Cincinnati, Luke Fickle's old school, he should be the starter there. Tanner Bordellini and Michael Furtney. Those should be the starting guards of the program, and Joe Huber and Jack Nelson should be one of the nation's best tight end, not tight end, but tackle duos. So I look at this team, and I think they're still going to run the football a lot. Now, they'll be much more efficient at passing the ball. They will have a higher pass play percentage than they did last year or in 2021 for sure. But how can't you when you had Graham Mertz at quarterback and now you have Tanner Mordecai? Graham Mertz, I, I don't even want to remember 
his time at Wisconsin, and I don't think Wisconsin fans want to either. That quarterback play was Spencer Petras level. It was bad. And with C.J. Williams at wide receiver, along with Chimere DK, and at tight end you have Clay Cundiff, Jack Eschenbaugh, there are weapons, and with Tanner Mordecai, who's proven himself at SMU, limited playing time at Oklahoma, that he is of power five starting caliber. He's much better than Mertz. He'll be middle of the road, above average when it comes to Big Ten quarterbacks. And that's now a compliment because I think the Big Ten has a deep quarterback room this year. Wisconsin will have its best passing offense in, I don't know, I'd say potentially in over a decade, like since Russell Wilson came. And I think that's in year one, year one of Luke Fickle. Now, what benefits Fickle is Wisconsin's large amount of returning starters, returning production, and so on and so forth. That really benefits Wisconsin here. I'm curious as to whether this will work long term. I think it will, but I think there's a good chance that 2024 and 2025, this team regresses compared to this year. I think that Luke Fickle is stepping in, was stepping into a great situation roster-wise anyway, And then he used the portal. He made the perfect hires, bringing in Mike Tressel, who I think is a top five defensive coordinator, and also bringing in Phil Longo, who's probably a top 15 offensive coordinator. And he brought a strength and conditioning staff from Cincinnati who've developed multiple NFL players. So he stepped into a good position, and he did the most that he could to make it the perfect position. And I think that's going to work very well this year. He said that he expects Wisconsin to compete for an appearance in the Big Ten championship game in year one, and I agree with him. In fact, if Wisconsin became the first and only West Division team to win the championship game this year, depending on who makes it and how good they are and how Wisconsin looks, part of of that wouldn't even surprise me. This team's deep at O-line. Their running back room will be amazing as long as Malusi is healthy and as long as Allen can actually have a competent O-line. Last year, the offensive line was disappointing, and he still had over 1,000 rushing yards. They have returning production at tight end, wide receiver. They have a great linebacker room. They also picked up Jeff Petrowski from the portal there. And with Ricardo Holman um, and others at safety and corner, I think that the secondary room will improve compared to last year. Jim Leonard wasn't retained by the staff, and now he's with Illinois. But Mike Tressel is the defensive coordinator, Phil Longo is the OC, and Fickle is the head coach. This team is going to be about trench play, running the football. They're going to be about just locking down offenses. I don't know about forcing turnovers, but I know they're going to be about locking down offenses on defense. And Mike Tressel, Just watch some of the Michigan State defenses in 2018, 19, and 17. Masterful defensive coordinator. Finally, we're going to talk about Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines. Jim Harbaugh got up to the podium and basically said he's excited for the 2023 season and then opened it up for questions. I think that he knows, along with the team, that the expectations are sky high. He knows that they've already proven that they're capable of winning at the highest level in the Big Ten. He knows that they're the favorites in the Big Ten East. And in the Big Ten as a whole, they have the most first-place votes. I think it's like in the 20s or something. It's insanely high. 
Ohio State is 8, Penn State is 2. I forget how much Michigan has. I think Michigan has 27. 27 or 28 votes or or something like that. I think it's 27 because there's 37 total voters. So yeah, it's 27. Anyway, forget that I was doing math when I should be talking about college football. But I think that Michigan football is the number one team in the country. I think Jim Harbaugh is the number one head coach in the Big Ten. Definitely a top five head coach nationally. And I think that he understands that in order for his team to have the best mentality, they have to show their success through actions and not empty words. You don't want to get up and boast at a podium and talk about how, oh, I know my team is favored and we've dominated the conference for the past two seasons. You don't want to do that. You, You do not want to do that. I'm a Michigan fan. I've lived through enough of my own team's arrogance kicking themselves in the butt year after year after year. I think that was the right call. Get up, say you're excited for the season, and I'll answer questions. And I think that's also admirable because in light of the NCAA potential suspension of Jim Harbaugh, I think you're saying I'm not afraid of your questions regarding the suspension. And I think that speaks to his leadership. I think that speaks to the fact that he understands what his mission and his job is, which is to win the Big Ten championship and at least win a playoff game. I said this to myself earlier this afternoon. For Michigan, in my opinion, anything short of 14-1, and which would be an improvement off of last year, anything short of 14-1 and is a disappointment, and anything short of winning a playoff game is outright unacceptable with the amount that this team returns, the playmaker they have at quarterback, with running backs Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, with what should be an elite offensive line for the third year in a row, with a defense that returns players like Chris Jenkins, Jalen Harrell, Michael Barrett, Jr. Colson, and a secondary, which Jim Harbaugh noted, despite the competition at the second cornerback spot, the cornerback spot that is opposite of who should be an All-American and Will Johnson, he noted that as a strength despite the competition. They have Jaden McBurrows, Amorian Walker, um, Josh Wallace, and if Walker and McBurrows are being developed right now as we speak in a great way, and with Steve Klinkscale as their position coach and with Ben Herbert as the strength and conditioning coach, I have absolute faith with evidence to back that up that they are being developed as best as they can and Wallace was a proven corner at UMass I have no doubt that the corner position is a strength Harbaugh also stated that there are 10 players that are of starting caliber and I think he was being humble I think there are potentially more power five potentially starting caliber players and that's incredible the offensive line is deep I think it will once again be the best in the nation in the regular season This time, despite not winning the Joe Moore Award, I don't think they'll win it for the third year in a row, I do think they will play better in the postseason, though. Wherever that is, no matter who the matchup is, I think they'll finally show their potential in a postseason game rather than getting manhandled by whether it was Georgia in 2021 or TCU in 2022. Harbaugh compared J.J. McCarthy's leadership, ability, and talent to NFL greats like Mahomes and Allen. Now, as a Michigan fan, I hope this is absolutely true. I also understand where he's coming from to a certain degree because Mahomes and Allen are top 10, top 8, top 6 quarterbacks in the NFL, more more likely than not like top 4. 
J.J. McCarthy, I think, is a top 10 quarterback in college football. So he is amongst the best of the best of quarterbacks in college football. I still think Caleb Williams, Drake May, even Jalen Daniels from Kansas, and like Bo Nix from Oregon, Michael Penix from Washington, I think are a step ahead of McCarthy. But McCarthy could certainly leapfrog over some of those players. And more importantly than talent, Harbaugh was talking about the leadership ability of McCarthy and also how he connects with the locker room and with the players, which is important if you're a quarterback. And McCarthy, no doubt, has excellent playmaking ability. I think that he's going to be the Big Ten's best quarterback this season. And going back to how Jim Harbaugh handled himself today at the podium, saying that he can't talk about the potential NCAA suspension and also just saying that he's excited to play football and play some ball this season. I think Michigan knows they got to be humble. They can't overlook anyone. And I think this is the attitude that you need to see if you're a Michigan fan. And we saw it to a certain degree, actually to a great degree last year and in 2021 until they got to the TCU game, which I think was the first game in a while we saw that Michigan truly looked over an opponent. I think this mindset, plus that Fiesta Bowl humbling experience, is going to help the Wolverines get where they need to get this season. That was day two of Big Ten Media Days. Thank you all so much for watching. If you enjoyed this video, please hit the subscribe button, like this video, and comment your thoughts on these seven coaches and what they said and my analysis down below. Thank you guys for watching, and I'll see you guys around. Bye-bye.